everybody, it's Halloween, the week of Halloween. And uh, we're trying a, uh, this is the first time all three of us have actually been on an episode together. So we have me, Mike Hill, Mike Scandato, and Jeff Kashid all together doing our Halloween special. How's it going, guys? All right, what's up, man? Uh, great to have everybody together for the first time. Uh, yeah, it's one, of, it's one of my favorite weeks, you know? Halloween week is awesome. Watching horror movies and, and just feeling the fall vibes. Yeah, man, uh, it's great to have all three of us together. Um, it's more, Halloween is like a month-long thing for me. I try to do a horror movie a day. So, uh, but I really try to ramp mm -hmm. it up in the week leading to Halloween. I usually do the same, man, but I've just been unusually busy with other things this, this month and um, this whole last few months. And I, I'm bummed that I haven't been doing the 31 Days of Halloween thing. But that doesn't mean that I haven't been watching a lot of horror films. Or right. Some of those movies that I'm watching right now. Awesome. Yeah. It's good to try to do it. That, I mean, you know, it's hard to actually do it, but at least trying to do it is part of the fun, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And trying to mix it up with like classics, newer things, things I haven't seen before. Uh, I try to do like a half and half. Before we get rolling, let's uh, let's give our uh, our sponsor a shout out. We got Generation Records, open since 1992. Generation Records specializes in punk, hardcore, metal, rock, and soundtracks. You can get records, CDs, tapes, shirts, and posters there. Used in new records as well. They'll pay top dollar for quality used records. Check them out at generationrecords.com. Or if you're in New York City, they're located at 210 Thompson Street. I, uh, I was actually supposed to go there yesterday, but I didn't make it out there. Uh, they got this uh, beautiful new Mario Bava soundtrack in uh, Blood and Black Lace on a color vinyl. It's just like an Italian import. They only made like about 500 copies of it. I got, I got to try to get over there and grab one because uh, I don't think they even got that many copies. But that's the kind of cool shit they get a generation. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, and out here in Jersey, there's vintage vinyl, which is like I would say kind of like a similar type of shop too. And that's uh, – you know, that's a great place to go to if you're ever in the New Brunswick, uh, Edison area. Uh, you know, not like they're a sponsor for us, but it's a good place to go to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And obviously music, I mean, is, is definitely a, a part of, of, of the Halloween vibe. And I've been listening to, you know, Zombie and, and Goblin and some Morcone stuff and Carpenter stuff. So, yeah, there's just there's so much to enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. In the, mu in the musical department, I always, uh, one of my favorite bands is Boren and Der Club of Gore, German uh, jazz group. Um, are you familiar with them, Mike? Oh, yeah. No, no. no. Oh, well, there, there we go. We got, yeah, your we got cats, cats on the podcast. Uh, well, um, I, I highly recommend you check it out. It's really apocalyptic jazz, if, they, if that makes any sense to you. <laughs> awesome. Yes, so, Doyle, Doyle Scandato is, uh, might be the fourth to chime in on today's podcast, everybody. <laughs> cute. So the format of today's show, we each picked five movies that uh, we've been into, you know, for this season, the scary season of Halloween. And we're just going to go one by one with our picks and talk a little bit about uh, each movie and 
why it's a movie that's special to us. So, uh, yeah, and some of these movies uh, for for the, for the long time listeners are movies we may have covered, um, but you know, we it's just these are kind of like our go to films, um, and of course, there, there's nothing wrong with with talking about a movie twice, especially if you love a movie, right? Yeah, totally. So which one, who wants to start? Mike, you want to start? I'm sorry, you guys are both named Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, 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 will, I will give a shot and start. Awesome. Um, my, my first go-to Halloween movie is extremely predictable. Um, and I'm sure just by saying that, some may know what I'm talking about. And it is, of course, the, the mother of all Halloween movies, uh, the 1978 John Carpenter classic, Halloween. I mean, I don't know how most people can go through the whole Halloween season and not watch this movie. Uh, some people tend to watch it on Halloween night. Some people watch it, you know, it's their October 1st movie. Uh, I watched it earlier in the month. Um, and I, it's, to this day, it is still pretty amazing that Carpenter was able to turn Southern California into the Midwest. What do you, you know, right, guys? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I, I live not far from where they filmed at, and, and uh, they filmed it in Pasadena. And it's amazing every time I see it. It, it just doesn't, it does not look like California. Mm. I mean, it, you know, as a kid, I, I mean, I, you know, I, when I would just watch movies and there was no internet and I had no, I had no film books, you know, when I was 10, 11 or 12, I think I assumed that was the Midwest actually. I, you know, I was very surprised as I got older and, and did the deep dives in my horror films that holy shit, that was in fact California. But, yeah. uh, and then of course, learning that Haddonfield didn't exist. <laughs> I, was, I was upset to learn that there was no such, you know, city as Haddonfield. But what can you say, man? I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's like the, 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 the kickoff of all the slashers. And to me, it, it's kind of a, the true kickoff, more so than Jaws three years earlier, of the, the horror boom. You know, like, mm. I do consider Jaws a, a horror film from 75. But this movie from 1978, I think, put horror, like, on the map, you know, what do you think about that? Yeah, for sure. It was definitely a, like a, a innovator, you know what I mean? It was like a seminal movie that um, yeah. created, created the whole genre, really. Yeah, no, yeah. totally. I mean, Jaws, would, Jaws created the Buster, right? Um, you know, and, and, and the animal shark horror, you know, an, like the animal horror craze, right? All those kind of... Uh, movies that that came in its wake but this movie had a million movies in its wake as well some great some not so great but you know i mean the, the importance of this movie can't be spoken to enough you know 40 plus years later everyone still talks about it people still see it it's made tons of dough you know what can you say halloween it's one of my favorite movies of all time i have a halloween tattoo um so yeah it's awesome. one of the other fun greats yeah, I totally, totally agreed. It's it, it's always on somewhere in the month of October. So if you're just flipping through your channel, that's usually how I end up seeing it, just kind of clicking through the TV, seeing what's on. I'm like, oh, yeah, Halloween, of course, I'm going to watch this. And something else I thought about was 
young people today finding it for the first time, right? Like, a, I don't know, a 14-year-old or whatever, 15, 16-year-olds who, who may see it for the first time, like what, what they think about it, right? I mean, I, I don't know anybody super young as an older gentleman myself. Um, you know, I wonder if it's as beloved to the, the much younger generation as it is to the older generation. Wow. Yeah, I wonder that too, especially since there's so many different ways you can go with, with Halloween. You can see that version and it's completely convoluted timeline throughout the sequels. Right. The, re mm -hmm. the remakes, this uh, sort of reboot slash sequel. It's a really interesting uh, world that they've created and it's like a choose your own adventure. Um, I'd be curious yeah, to see how course. a younger person navigates that. <laughs> Mm. By the way, there's a Haddonfield, New Jersey. There's oh, there's a, that's right, Haddonfield, New yeah, Jersey. Yeah. yeah, okay. But, uh, see, they must have thought they were so cool when this movie there, came out. They were like, oh, man, this is great. There is no Haddonfield, Illinois, though. That's the only thing. No, right. Exactly. That's what, what I meant, that there's no Illinois. Yeah. It is a bummer. <laughs> um, a, a second, uh, second go-to Halloween film is uh, 1979's Phantasm by Don Coscarelli. When uh, on a very recent rewatch of this movie, it was just really kind of astounded me that he was like about 23, 24 when he made this movie. I don't know what you guys were doing when you were 23 or 24, but I know I wasn't directing a goddamn amazing horror movie. <laughs> I was, you know... I was I was in college and play I was playing hard coaches. I mean I, I put out my first record by about twenty twenty three actually and I was that was a big accomplishment. I went on tour for the first time, but I certainly didn't direct a great movie. Um, and this is a great movie. It's, yeah, it's just so like there's just something so vibey about it. I don't know. If that's the the best word I, I can come up with. It, it's like it reminds me of almost. Uh, reminds me a little bit of the Beyond, uh, Fulci's The Beyond, where it's just like, it's just something kind of unsettling about it and, and very dark. But this movie does have uh, its humorous moments, uh, of course, and some, some lighthearted moments. But what really struck me about it uh, on a most recent watch was how, how much of, of, like, of a dark kind of sad aspect it had uh, with the character Michael, who is 13 years old, not a lot of horror movies today would have, like, would kind of base the movie around a 13-year-old. Did you agree? Like, uh, like an R-rated horror movie. Yeah, definitely. And and I think that's that's um both 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 of your your first two choices, Halloween and Phantasm, are both very atmospheric movies, and that's like two of two of my favorite movies of all time in the genre of Phantasm. Halloween. Yeah, yeah it, it is a sad story, man. And um, yeah, and it also has that surreal element, you know, with uh, mm -hmm. like like a lot of seventies movies have. I mean, but what what makes it sad? What uh, you know? What I'm getting to is that like before the movie starts, uh, Michael and Jody's parents have have recently died, and um, Jody uh, is the older brother, and he's a musician, and he goes on tour, and he goes away. And, and Michael is, is basically uh, staring down the fact that he may lose his brother, too. And it's just, he, like, worships his brother. He idolizes his brother. 
and uh, his brother's friend, Reggie, of course, played by Reggie Bannister. That's kind of like all he has in the world because his parents are dead and he's about to lose that. And then one of their friends dies at the very beginning of the movie. If you haven't seen the film, you really should. <laughs> um, and they're at the, the friend's funeral. And that's when the whole tall man, Angus Scrim, crazy, you know, everything kind of comes into play. But if you're thinking about it from the point of view of Michael, it's like, wow, this is, this is a lot, you know? <laughs> like, it's, it's very heavy, kind of like 70s darkness. What oh, do you yeah. guys uh, no, no, I completely agree, which is kind of interesting to how, like, I kind of remember the sequels as being a little bit goofy, like, kind of, like, more action and funny. Maybe right. it's, mm -hmm. I haven't seen them in a long time, but it, and I haven't seen the original Phantasm in, in a little while, too, but it's interesting to point out, like, how dark the first one really is, like, hearing you talk about it. And then I just think of the second one where the guy has, like, a, a quadruple barrel shotgun. It's, it's kind of, you know, schlocky and, and funny. yeah. They get a little off the rails and more fan, fan, fantastical, right? They get more, you know, wilder and less less kind of, you know, reality-rooted. But you just kind of feel really bad for Michael. And then it has that crazy ending, and which maybe I won't spoil the ending in today's episode. But um, it's just it's, – it's such a good movie. And, of course, Angus Scrim is, is unbelievable. One of my favorite Harakon moments of my life was when I met Angus Scrim, and I would bring, like, either VHS covers or C, uh, DVD sleeves with me to get signed, and I brought one of my, you know, Phantasm one, and he had no prices listed at his table because these people charge for that. Yeah. And this was in the early 2000s, and he goes – well, I asked him, well, oh, how much? And he goes – what do you mean how much you already bought it? And he signed it and gave it back to me. Oh, wow. And I was like, wow. Like, I thought that was like, holy shit. Yeah, Angus Grimm was not charging at, at this particular con. Uh, I took a picture with him. I, I still have it somewhere. And it was just, that was the only, like one of the only times that's ever happened at a con for me in my, in my life. Uh, I thought that was very cool. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, Phantasm is, is, is definitely got some nice fall vibes uh, to it as well. Um, yeah, I don't know if I love the entire franchise. I need to kind of go back and watch the franchise. But, man, yeah, the, the first movie to me is, 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 is like an all-time favorite. And, of course, for the metalheads out there, the, you know, what Entombed went on to do with the music 10, you know, 10, 11 years later with that that the outro of the left hand path is like one of the, the greatest, uh, you know, death metal musical moments ever. And it just, it, that music just lends itself to be like, you know, like taken to a different place. You know, it's just such great theme music. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't um, really mess around with the first phantasm. The other ones I wasn't, I'm not so into. Two's kind of fun. I remember. Yeah, it's a little more gory, part two. I, I, that came out when I was in high school. Um, you know, I don't even but, think yeah. I've seen the last one. There was uh, a newer Ravager. one that came out. Yeah, Ravager. Yeah, Ravager. Ravager. Fantastic yeah, Ravager. Just the final one. Yeah. But uh, love it. Well, not right. Ravager. Love Phantasm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mike Hill, you want to go? Um, yeah, sure. So, uh the first two films, they're both John Carpenter movies for me, okay? So I got The Fog in the, from 1980 and Prince of Darkness from 1987. Nice. And uh, 
both directed uh, by, by uh, John Carpenter. The Fog was also co-written by Deborah Hill. That's so it's the Halloween crew, which ties it back to Mike's, uh, his pick for the Halloween movie. And uh, Carpenter did the music in both cases. Carpenter wrote Prince of Darkness, but he wrote it under his uh, nom de plume, uh, Martin Quarterman. So, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Martin Quarterman. Hmm. <laughs> and uh, that's, you know, paying, paying homage to uh, Bernard Quartermass, uh, Quartermass in the pit, you know. So anyway. But, um, but yeah, these two movies, um, they, I, I watched them at the beginning of the month, and I was, like, kind of, like, in secession. And I was like, yeah, this is, like, Prince of Darkness really is, is kind of, like, an unsung favorite that, of mine. That I remember watching it originally, and I was, like, kind of not that into it because maybe the acting was a little bit off. But I, I remember really liking the story. And in the last, like, year, I really dialed into that movie, and I've watched it. So I got the Blu-ray, like the Arrow Blu-ray with all the um, extras on it the interview with uh, John Carpenter and Alice Cooper. And uh, Carpenter talks about his inspiration for the movie and it connects to like uh, quantum physics and all that and how, you know, antimatter and like, you know, the anti-God bringing darkness instead of light. And, you know, it's part of his apocalypse trilogy with, um, you know, the thing and uh, in the mouth of madness. So it fits in within this, like I, this sort of canon of work that he has. And, uh, now it's like one of my favorite Carpenter films, and um, I'm excited about that movie. So I watched those two at the very beginning of the month. And, and The Fog, I mean, you can't really go wrong with that movie. I don't know. What do, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, great movie. Yeah, very underrated. I saw The Fog in the theater uh, for the first time. Uh, it was a double feature with The Thing, and John Carpenter spoke in between, and he was <laughs> such a grumpy oh, wow. old man. It was great. And the theater kind of <laughs> the like cleared out after he spoke, but I, I had actually never seen The Fog. This was 2007-ish, six, something like that. Yeah. And it was just cool to have that experience of seeing a movie from the 80s in the theater for the first time. And uh, I was shocked when I left that, like, first of all, that everyone left. I was like, this is one of the best Carpenter movies I've seen. I can't believe I slept on this one. Mm. But it's a great pick. Mm. Uh, and Prince of Darkness as well like that uh, I saw with my, my my buddies you know in the eight, late 80s whenever it came out and I gotta agree with, with with Mike there that like it wasn't initially one of my favorites but it was definitely a grower like every few years I was like oh I mean, you know I gotta should, I gotta check that out again and uh you know Mike Hill did you get that photo I sent you yeah yeah totally man that's fucking awesome Jeff sent me a photo of the church in Los Angeles that's in Prince of Darkness oh wow yeah, yeah, it's that's a great right. location. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's it's weird. Like you'd think that area would be like this completely rundown hellhole, and maybe it was then. But now it's like part of all real close to uh, Little Tokyo in in downtown LA, and it's I stopped by this FedEx for for work a couple times a week, and I remember just kind of like I think it was at a light, and I looked over, and I was like, that has to be the church from Prince of Darkness, <laughs> and uh, it was. Uh, I love finding like landmarks like that. Uh, all over LA. The Carpenter talks about the location scouting for that and, um, and just finding that church. And it was at that, at that particular time, it was in downtown LA, which is like during that late eighties was kind of a hell hole. And uh, yeah. basically they were able to do whatever they wanted down there. So it was kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. 
it's it's awesome. funny you mentioned uh, it's funny you mentioned Carpenter's a little grumpy because apparently he has a little bit of that reputation to be a bit of a grumpy guy, but I don't know why he's grumpy. He's he's the last ten years of of, of this guy's career has been. I mean, you know, he's just been like showered with praise. I mean, a brand new book about him just came out this past week, actually, that uh, a Facebook friend of mine wrote. Um, and he's got the music, and he's just, I mean, I don't know. I feel like it's a pretty great time to be John Carpenter. But, of course, hey, you know, people have their, their personalities. Oh, sure. He seemed a little bit bitter about filmmaking when people asked, someone asked him uh, what he was up to, and he just started, like, talking about his video game stats of, like, Call of Duty or Halo, something I can't quite remember. <laughs> but it just struck me as really funny that John Carpenter at home playing video games, chain smoking, <laughs> you know? Oh, man. In the extras on um, Prince of Darkness, he kind wow, of talks great a little bit about, about his disillusionment with uh, modern filmmaking. Because, um, you know, I mean, none of us are, I mean, really are, none of us went to film school. So we don't no. really understand no. all the references of like German impressionism and all this other stuff. So Carpenter kind of went into that a little bit in the extras for Prince of Darkness. And he was like, well, you know, nowadays the way they make films, it's all, uh, it's all bebop. You know, it's like too quick, the cuts are too quick. They don't, you know, I guess in general, I think a lot of his uh, grumpiness comes from that, like how people aren't making films like they used to. And not, not so much about, I mean, really, his, his music career is a whole separate thing, man. I mean, it's like he's out yeah. on tour, putting out records and all that. So, I mean, yeah, you, it's can't awesome. really, you can't be, uh, you cannot complain about having that second wind in your career. Um, I just think that he's like bummed that people aren't making movies the way they used to. That's true. Yeah. Um, well, my f uh, first pick is also a John Carpenter movie. Um, <laughs> I kind of just, when we decided to do this, I just wrote down John Carpenter because every Halloween I watch at least one of his movies. And one of my go-tos, John Carpenter's Mike mentioned earlier as part of the apocalypse trilogy is that, uh, in the Mouth of Madness from 1994, when I could have sworn it was 95, but whatever. Me too. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Hmm. yeah um, like, I, I distinctly remember seeing this in the theater my senior year of high school. I graduated in 1995. Uh, my friends and I just kind of went on a whim. You know, we like, like, oh, let's, you know, go to the movies. Oh, this looks, okay, whatever. So I had no expectations, and it just completely floored me. Uh, I'd never seen anything quite like that. Um, you know, it's, it's, it all feels a lot like a Lovecraft story, although it's not. It's, I always used to say it's the best Lovecraft adaptation that Lovecraft never wrote. And it just has all these elements to it uh, that I enjoy. Like, it really captures, like, fall, small town, uh, curses, monsters. Uh, in the end, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but uh, who cares? It, it's, a, it's, it's a great ride. Sam Neill is on a different level. Like he doesn't realize he's acting in a B movie and he's just kind of bringing his A game. Uh, <laughs> always great to see Sam Neill pop up in, in, in things. And I think it's probably the last really great John Carpenter movie. Um, <laughs> you know, like when Mike, Mike said, uh, John Carpenter said, well, they don't make films like they used to anymore, but that kind of applies to him too. I, I just, not recently, but I mean, a few years ago, saw his last movie. Uh, the Ward, and uh, it doesn't have any kind of Carpenter stamp to it. It just seems like it was done, at, at, like it wasn't a labor of love. It was just, 
just done. Yeah. You know what I mean? I've heard bad things about it, about it's the ward. I hadn't seen it. I kind of am afraid to see it. It's kind of like watching a new Argento movie where it's like, oh boy. Like, you know, I, I have seen, I mean, I saw, uh, you know, every Argento movie. I saw the Dracula. Dracula is oh. very poor. Um, yeah, so, I didn't, I, I skipped that. Yeah. <laughs> I tried watching a little bit of Vampires. I think this, there was like two films after this. You guys seen that? Yeah, Vampires. I yeah. Actually kind of did I've that. seen it. Not bad, it, but not great. It? Not bad. It's kind of funny that James Wood's first line in that movie is another Mexican shithole, <laughs> considering <laughs> the fucking <laughs> the far right Twitter troll he would become. I, that, that just struck me as really funny. Wow. He also talks about his dick in that movie. <laughs> yeah, it really feels like he was improving and riffing throughout that, and Carpenter was like, "Yeah, this okay, whatever," <laughs> you know. But uh, what, what do you guys think of it in the mouth of madness? I, I guess it's kind of divisive. I, I, if some people love it and some people really don't like it, I saw it I've only seen it once, and oh, I, wow. I honestly I need to really revisit that. I need to revisit that, and I need to revisit Wes Craven's New Nightmare, another movie I've seen one time. I do remember liking Wes Craven's New Nightmare. They're kind of from the same era, that early-ish, early mid-90s era kind of latter works from two masters. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. I need to watch it again. I remember thinking Mouth of Madness was, was pretty cool, but it's, it would be almost like watching it for the first time. Oh, wow. Yeah, like I said, yeah, one of one of my go-tos uh, never disappoints. I like all three of those films, like that whole trilogy, the Apocalypse yeah. trilogy. I think um, they're all different but successful in the way that they approach the ideas of like doom, the end of the world, uh, you know, different dimensions, like that kind of stuff. I like, I mean, and that's exactly the type of fiction I enjoy reading too. So it's like, you know, fits right in that niche of. Uh, you know, films and books that I like. So I love all three of those movies. Yeah, me as well. Um, who's next? Why don't you do two since we've both done two? So I'll go oh, this. Jesus. Oh, I'm not paying attention over here. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> Something a little bit more uh, lighthearted and fun. Um, it's not a movie. It's a TV show. It's uh, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place from hmm. 2004. Uh, it aired on the BBC uh, the only uh, the only time it um, aired in America was uh, as part of uh, Adult Swim. It ran for six episodes. It's created by Matthew Holness, who uh, Mike and I just discussed. He directed the movie Possum. And uh, more recently, mm. he popped up in The Haunting of, of Bly Manor as an actor. And it was also created by Richard Aeoli. Fuck, I totally fucked up his name. Sorry. <laughs> uh, he was on the British show The IT Crowd. He directed a few films himself, um, The Double and uh, Submarine, both uh, pretty good movies. And this is more of a comedy. It definitely spoofs a lot of the things we're talking about. Um, basically, the premise is this kind of um, Garth Morangi is like this total hack horror writer, but he's completely pretentious, doesn't realize what a hack he is, and he creates this show about a haunted hospital. And the show is, is intentionally terrible. Like the, the effects are bad, the lighting is bad. 
Uh, the acting is terrible. Um, it looks like you're watching it on a WVHS. Um, it is a lot of fun. And if you're a horror fan, I think you'll find it hilarious. Um, unfortunately, it's only availability in physical media is on Region 2 DVD. Which, do you guys have region free players? I do, yeah. Yeah, I, I used to. Currently, yeah. I don't. Mm. You can watch it on YouTube, though. And um, if that's the only way you can get it, I, I, you know, it, it's worth it. You know, like the, the quality of the film itself is, is pretty bad. So watching it on YouTube doesn't, you're not really missing that much. Uh, <laughs> but it's, I love the lampooning of uh, the spooky atmosphere. Well, at the same time, kind of creates this like kind of spooky atmosphere. It's it's a lot of fun, and uh, like I said, I like to kind of balance it out in October. Yeah, you recommend it? Want to check it out? Yeah. I haven't checked it out yet, but I remember we talked about it. You recommended it. Yeah, man. Yeah, I I love it. It's definitely a, a go-to. We're back to you, Mike. All right. My uh, third choice is the 1980 slasher classic that would not have existed without the success of Halloween. I'm talking about, of course, Friday the 13th, part one uh, from Sean Cunningham, who uh, previously worked with Wes Craven on uh, Last House on the Left in the early part of the 70s. Uh, I love this movie. I've always loved this movie. Uh, is it a ripoff of Halloween to a degree? Yeah. But I think it kind of stands on its own more than it is a ripoff of Halloween. Um, it's really a ripoff of the 1971 Mario Baba film, uh, Bay of Blood, also known Twitch of the Death Nerd. It mm. has a lot in common with that movie. Maybe not ripoff, but um, the, the body count uh, thing it was kind of directly inspired by that Baba movie. And it's funny, I've actually seen this movie now creep up in people's American Giallo lists. Have you guys? They're now putting Friday the 13th Part 1 in there. I would say that that's uh, a little confusing to me. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't really think it has much of the uh, characteristics of a Giallo film, really. Well, the reason why some people are saying that is is a lot to do with the the twist ending, right? That and like a lot of there's a lot of red herrings in the movie, which there are, um, and the whole body count vibe, which was lifted from uh, Mario Baba's, uh, uh, you know, Bay of Blood, and just the the ending, though I have to say that that ending, the Betsy Palmer ending, and the Jason on the Lake ending, I, it it kind of Reminds me a little bit of Jalo films to a degree, maybe like like Deep Red's kind of ending or like I don't know. There's definitely some kinship there. My initial reaction was more like I've never thought of that. I've never thought of Friday Thirteenth as uh, you know an American Jalo before, but I don't know. Some people have have been making some posts about it. I saw and I thought it was kind of interesting. But mm. aside from that, I find it to be a good kind of Halloween, early fall kind of movie. Movie takes place in the summer, but I always felt that it took place, in my head, it was like a late summer movie. Mm. Um, and when I was a kid, this is kind of funny, like my friends and I pointed out that the words Jason, right, if you took J-A-S-O-N, it, 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 you know, you could spell out July, August, September, October, and November. Hmm. 
um, which to some people is like, holy shit, that is kind of interesting. Where That's kind of like peak Jason Voorhees season, if you really think about it. July to November probably would be the peak season for the killings because it's not the, the, like the winter hasn't set in yet. <laughs> that's, that's an interesting point, man. I, I, wow, that's cool. Yeah. Uncovering conspiracy. Um, I don't know if, if uh, Cunningham had a, yeah, I mean, I don't know if or, or the writer Victor Miller or, or Cunningham ever thought of that, but I, I always thought that was kind of interesting. That goes back to, you know, my teen years. But have you guys, this movie, you guys uh, I'm sorry. Oh, what were you saying? I'm sorry. I was going to say, if you, have you seen any of the fan films that have been made recently uh, from Friday the 13th, like Don't Hike in the Woods? No, I have Don't not. Don't Hike Alone or something. Uh, it, they're surprisingly good. I, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not a fan of the Friday the 13th movies. I have to confess, uh, Mike Hill and I have talked about this, I think, a few times uh, on, on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just feel like they're cynically made. They, there's not a lot of artistry to them. Uh, they're just like throwing it out there to make money. Uh, I will say though that the first one does feel like more like a real movie than the rest of them. So if I would yeah. go back and watch any of them, it'd probably be that one. Or for, for, if for more of a Jason movie, um, I'd watch part four. But one is definitely the best. Yeah, I, one also I credit the movie as like when I was a kid, I had three older brothers who would torment me, and uh, Friday the Thirteenth was on TV a lot as a kid. And I think when I was about 10 or so, like 83, it was on TV and they like forced me to watch it. Like they, they wouldn't let me not watch it basically um, at our, my our grandparents' uh, apartment, you know, on like a Saturday or a Sunday, whatever. And uh, I was yeah. kind of afraid of horror movies. Me too. But this, I, I kind of, you know, I got through it basically, you know, and I actually ended up liking it a lot. And then to this day, like I always, had this memory of like my, my older brothers tormenting me about Jason and whatever and Friday the 13th. Um, <laughs> but I also always love the score. Uh, the Harry Manfredini score in this movie is fucking awesome, man. It's just very yeah. like, it's kind of unforgettable really. It's like, it just really sticks with you. You know, it's, it's like very like jarring and loud and creepy. Um, and the movie poster to me, probably one of the, best horror movie posters ever I think is the first Friday the 13th poster so sure yeah as you can see Jeff I'm a fan (laughs) yeah well yeah well you know we're all from the video store era so that's how a lot of how I discovered horror movies you know you'd walk into the video store and I would kind of eye out of like the horror section I was like almost afraid to look at it and then, Mm. then when I finally did look at it like you know the ones you choose to watch you base totally on the the posters yeah I think it's like a I feel not sorry for people oh, totally. who, um, who didn't grow up in the video store era, but it was something really spe- special about going into the video store and renting something you had no idea about. You were just taking a chance. Yeah. There was this one video store a little further away from me that my dad would like to go to and he would take me. And they had the Maniac poster. And I was, I think I was, Jesus, about eight when that, I mean, that movie came out, I was like seven or eight and maybe on video, eight or nine. My God, I was like horrified and fascinated by that poster. Mm-hmm. Just like, I would just look up and just be like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, <you know>? Awesome. <laughs> the scalp and the blood and the, it's just like, damn, man, this is a fucking brutal. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's, and that's another movie I would come to love. But um, 
Yeah, I think it's a good, it is, aside from a good summer movie, it's a good fall movie. Um, and it's fun to watch this time of year. And um, I just picked up that box set that came out with all the movies in it. And there's a, a bit of, uh, a bit of <laughs> let's say, backlash because some people are getting some fucked up copies and wow. ones that are missing some movies. And uh, so far, my, mine is good, thank God. My, my box set is fine, so. Um, you know, people just love to complain on social media, but, uh, no. yeah, always love Friday. <laughs> <laughs> no, that can't be. Awesome. Uh, All right. Especially the Blu-ray people. The Blu-ray people can be as bad as the vinyl people, as I've said before on the, on the podcast. Yeah, I can but, imagine. um, I mean, yeah, it's just a fun, fun movie. Cool. My number three is uh, Hellraiser, one, the first mm. one. And uh, mm-hmm. I've, I've been obsessed with this movie for most of my life, actually. Uh, it's, I don't think anyone has ever made a movie like this before or since. And it's crazy to think that it's uh, Clive Barker's directorial debut, <laughs> that he never made yeah. And he just steps in and does this, and it's like this iconic film, you know, which brought us uh, the Cenobites, the Lament configuration, um, and like a slew of uh, varying degrees of, uh, of dissent in the, in the sequels. Like the sequels, the first two are genius. Since then, it's just gotten, like the, the, the movies have gotten worse and worse and worse as time goes on after that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> No. Two is like an alien aliens kind of thing, you know, like they're, they're, they're both kind of their own thing. Yeah. But it makes and, sense though. I mean, I, yeah. I like the continuity between those two films, you know, and, um, and like just, you know, the, the, the characters, you know, Sean Chapman, who is like, you know, Frank Cotton, one of my favorite characters. Mm. And I, yeah. always, I always thought it was funny that they, his, you know, that, that uh, Larry and Frank were brothers, you know, that <laughs> they look like one dude looks like he grew up on Staten Island, you know, and the other guy's like this middle American sort of guy, you know, and like, and I, I think the Frank Cotton character is like the best. He's like, kind of, but the, yeah. the, the irony is that Frank, uh, Sean Chapman's English, but he look, like I said, he looks, he looks like a Guido sort of, you know what I mean? Oh, totally. Yes, he kind of did. He did look kind of like a Guido. You know, yeah. it's funny. I, I read somewhere recently, I, I wish I kind of bookmarked it or whatever, but that Clive Barker would often say uh, on the set during the making of this movie things about how he, I don't know what I'm doing. They're like, or like alluding to the fact that he didn't know what he was doing. Like as a director, as a film director, oh, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I believe that. I totally believe that. Like he was winging it basically, you know? Um, and I got to tell you, again, for, you know, like you said, for the first, first time, I think it's a great movie and it is a great horror movie and it created created a franchise and it created a cool world. And I mean, you know, sometimes crazy things happen in the midst of, of, you know, good things happen in the midst of chaos. And that's what I think happened with Hellraiser. Yeah. You wouldn't know it. It's not incompetent at all. Like I'm sure we've all seen incompetent movies. Like, I don't know if you guys saw the Danzig movie, but that is the definition of incompetent. It is. It is. (laughs) Yes. 
I love it though. <laughs> right, I love it too. I love it. Fucking rule. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I love it. I, bought, I actually have a Blu-ray copy of that, man. I bought it. I knew it was going to be bad when when it man. Yeah, I am fool. But yeah, I still I think the best Clive Barker adaptation. I don't know that there's even Midnight Meat Train was pretty decent. Mm, it was. Um, I, yeah, uh, I recently watched uh, Books of Blood on on Hulu, and uh, wow, not good. Yeah, I'm gonna check that out this week. Mm, uh, I think you'll be disappointed. But mm. We'll see. He can't get a break. I feel like he hasn't had a break in a, a like in the movie department in a while, and honestly, like Books of Blood, like the series of the short his short you know stories whatnot. Mm-hmm. That to me would lend itself to a cool Netflix kind of series. like you know what I'm saying it's like like a streaming service series like horror series, but obviously that is not what has happened and it's unfortunate. Yeah, it really is. But yeah, great, great, great choice, Mike. It's uh, the first like mm. you said, first two are great. Three is is wacky. Uh, it's kind of enjoyable, and the rest of the direct-to-video ones are. Terrible. I think, yeah, they're pretty. I, I remember thinking the one with the detective was pretty good, and I rewatched that recently, and uh, I, I was wrong. <laughs> Dude, I'm we not were talking good. about doing that, and I like watched that third one, and I was like, "Oh man, this is like <laughs> really bad." I yeah, saw the third one goofy. in the theater with my buddies when it came out, and back then, I you know, in '92, I was 19, and I didn't judge with the lens that I judge now. So I think I found it enjoyable back then. And then later on watching it, you, you know, years down the line, I was like, yeah, this isn't as good as I remember it to be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, am, am I up? Y'all done? Yeah, you're up. My kill? You're up. All right. Well, um, I always try to go well, with a monster movie every year, a few anyway. And this year, uh, I picked Joe Dante's The Howling from 1981. Um, oh, really dang. kind of an interesting movie of like com- a combination of like late 70s sleaze and like early 80s cheesiness. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, it's Joe Dante, so it's always going to have, you know, his films always tend to have this like humor running through it. And I, it's definitely present. In, in the howling uh a lot of things watching this like like new i didn't realize this was a an, a, an la movie like when the, the cops give out an address western and delong pre i'm like i know exactly where that is i used to live blocks away from there and mm. sort, of, sort of presents hollywood in this real sleazy early 80s like kind of like what i imagined um new york was like uh before giuliani cleaned it up um other thing, I mean, this is really like this is only like a ninety-minute movie, but it is such a slow burn. Like watching it last night, uh, realizing that, like you know, I'm like, we're, we're like twenty minutes into a werewolf movie, and there hasn't even been a mention of a werewolf. There's been maybe a hint of it. They see a drawing on the wall of, of, the, yeah. of a, and then I think it's about forty minutes before you actually get a werewolf in a ninety-minute movie. I, I thought that was really interesting. Like, you know, we were talking earlier how John Carpenter said they don't make films like that anymore it's all bebop and it's true this is a a real slow burn i feel like any modern more modern werewolf movie would start you know with a a werewolf attack you know just to to let you know what kind of movie you're in and in this if you just turn it on 
uh, you don't realize you're watching a monster movie for like, you know, a good 45 minutes. It's funny how you mentioned how this has its early 80s LA kind of dark grit sleaze to it. Um, there is a New York counterpart to this movie. It's called Wolfen, which was shot in Manhattan in around yeah. 80, 80, 81. And yeah. it is, it's, you know, it's, it's, they're like, they're, the, you know, the cousin films to each other. Uh, and they're both great movies, but Howling is fucking awesome. I mean, it just, it, once it gets rolling, it yeah. is, it's a great fucking movie. I mean, I, I put it right below American Werewolf in London, honestly, but it's like right there. I, yeah. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. And this, like, American Wolf in London has that great transformation scene, but the effects in this are, are quite impressive, too. Yeah. I'm going to say oh, that the werewolf great transformation movie. scene in this movie, uh, what, Rob, didn't, what Rob, Rob Boutine did uh, special effects in, in The Howling, I think. Yeah, no, he did. That, the scene, the transformation scene is, I actually like that a little bit more than the American Wolf in London because of the way oh. it's shot. You know what I mean? It's like a shot, mm. it's like shot differently. Like American World for London is like a very academic. It's almost like a sizzle reel for like, this is all right, cool. Let's check this out. You know, and it's, it's like, it's not as atmospheric as the howling. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. No, yeah, I can agree with that. It's a, a really atmospheric movie. And another thing that struck me as funny and felt very modern uh, the main character's name is Karen White. <laughs> Karen White. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> also, in the Howling, it's like it kind of combines like two things, which I really enjoy. Um, you know, it's like there's a serial. Is, is it a serial killer or an actual monster? You know what I mean? Or werewolf. Mm. So that, right. that whole like storyline to me was cool. It was being investigated as serial murder. It had this like gritty like. Um, you know, noirish like sort of vibe to it, like with that, you know, like a crime element. And then the, the werewolf, the guy who's the the werewolf, is like he's like stoked, like he's he's like yeah, he's embracing his uh, lycanthropy. You know what I mean? He's not a tortured character like like Talbot, you know, the typical werewolf character. You know what I mean? He's, right. This this is great. You know, a werewolf is awesome. You know? Yeah, why wouldn't you love being a werewolf? It'd be fucking awesome. <laughs> I, I I say that all the time. Man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, great ending too. You know, I won't spoil it here, even though it's a movie from 1981. But I love the ending. It's just so <laughs> over the top. I love the ending too. Yes, the final shot. That final shot with the music and yes. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And, and again, uh, the sequels uh, I think are pretty bad. It's been a long time since I've seen them, but I don't remember them being very good. They're, they're abysmal, man. This is really <laughs> is, is Christopher Lee's in the second one, right? I think yes, he is. Actually, he is. He's one of them. And uh, also... Sybil Danning. I was, yeah, was going to say Sybil Danning's in it. And uh, it's it's sort of like this disjointed film where, you know, they have like a lot of, a lot of nudity and toplessness and all this other stuff. <laughs> like, you know, it's like... But it, it's like this mishmash, you know what I mean? I remember watching it and a lot of it was sort of like disjointed to me. Mm. I'll, I'll get around to watching again all again someday but yeah that's my pick how, how, the howling back to you Mike alright my next pick is another early 80's classic uh, and it is the 1981 film The Evil Dead released uh, October 15th 1981 um 
I freaking love this movie. Always have. Uh, I just always felt that while the, the the other movies in the series got comedic and silly and went in different places, uh, the original Evil Dead remains to me a fucking horror movie. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think it's it's a, it's it's like kind of like deadpan serious. To a degree, well, way more deadpan serious than all of its, you know, predecessors. But something about the cabin and the book and just like, I don't know. I always, it was probably one of the first times, uh, you know, seeing it as a kid, like where I was like, felt that like there could be real demonic things out there, (laughs) you know, Uh, aside from say like The Exorcist, right? Taking that kind of stuff out of the picture. Like this movie was like, I don't know. I'm not, satanic isn't the right word, right? It's like demonic. And mm-hmm. as a kid, that really stuck with me, you know? Um, see, seeing this movie as a young kid and like the poster, the video, so this was another one, another one where the poster always stuck with me and like the box color and uh, like that music that like, I don't know, it, it almost, like, almost sounds like it's like, like, you know, when like, like the camera is panning through the forest and it just gets so intense. And as a young child, it just left such an impression on me that I've always held it in such a high regard. And as I got older and became like a really big horror fan, uh, reading about how they made this movie and it was like all friends and like friends money and just how long it took and how much of like a, a labor of love and like, you know, blood, sweat and tears. It's just such an endearing film to me, you know? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and everything what you just said is why I don't like the remake because mm. it is like okay. the exact opposite of that. They tried to like, I mean, I can't judge the movie by how they marketed or sold it, but they were like, look, man, this is practical effects, gory. If you love the first one, you love gory, you're going to love this. But, it was just this slick Hollywood product. And that's the exact opposite of what the original Evil Dead was. And oh, I that like really it. I like the remake. I actually I really like the remake. Too. I thought I the remake it. was pretty yeah, good. I liked it. Hmm. Um, I thought it took, I thought it, yes, it gave it the modern kind of slick spin to a degree, but it was relentless. Like that, that actress who was in the, I can't think of her name, she was traumatized by making that, that movie. She is said and has never asked to. Um, I, I can see why after watching the remake. But um, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I look, it's, it's hard. That they're hard to compare, really. I mean, you, you compare them. I mean, no, nothing usually beats the original, honestly, in, in almost any case of every movie. But... I think it's kind of a time and place movie as, you know, being a, a, a young kid who saw it, not when it came out. I did not see it in 81. I saw it a little later on. I was too young to see it. Yeah. Uh, it's a video store movie. Um, I have certain movies in my head that are video store movies, and this is a video store movie. Um, and I know, Mike Hill, you, you fucking have, uh, you know, your Evil Dead 1 love and admiration as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually, I remember seeing this, um, you know, when I was a young kid, my, my mom, my mom was a, I've said this before in the podcast, she's a huge horror fan. Right? Yeah, so, mine too. So we, we rented this movie. We watched this during the day. 
Okay. This is like a daylight <laughs> film. And um, I invited a, you know, a friend of mine who lived, you know, in the neighborhood. He came over and he was terrified by this film. I mean, it scared me too, but he was so yeah. that he didn't want to walk home. He was terrified. Mm. You know, cause like Mike, I, you know, Jeff and I both grew up, we grew up in the city. So there was like uh, wooded areas. Mm. Like, <laughs> so true. he was, I guess that was what scared him that he had to walk, not through the woods, but near the woods. You know what I mean? Oh, man, that's, yeah. and I drove him home and, and, uh, and, and that this movie has always had a quite, quite a huge impact on me too, man. And mm. I, I still, it's still reminiscent. Like whenever I watch it, I still get reminded of like that period of my life. And, um, and yeah, the whole, it's almost like it happened accidentally because they found the, the book and they turned, they played mm. the, uh, the, the recording and the recording, the incantations on the recording summoned this demon. And I don't know, it was just, such a great, you know, it's not really, a, it's not a zombie movie. It's a, a possession movie and a, also a body horror movie and all this. Yeah, stuff. it's it's right, right. It's not a zombie movie. And then later on in life when I got into, into death metal around, you know, 16, 17, and I got into Deicide and their song Dead by Dawn, it was like, it, 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 made, me, it made me love the movie even more, you know, because <laughs> I love that song. Yeah. Um, I thought that song kind of nails it, you know? <laughs> I started with the second one. I rented that with my neighbors for a sleepover because the cover terrified us. And we were howling with laughter. And that was not to be – we didn't expect that. <laughs> like you said, it kind of yeah. went in like a comedic direction. Um, but, you know, like, like I remember Skinny Puppy sampling Heavy from Evil Dead 2. I was a big Skinny Puppy fan when I was a teenager. Um, <laughs> But yeah, the OG first one is is great, great movie. Yeah, it is great, and I don't know. I don't know if I'm a lover of the whole world and franchise like that. Some people are like, I, I really Army of Darkness is. I don't know. I, I, maybe I'll give it. I'll give it an, a third shot. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, Ash Evil Dead show was kind of fun. That that I kind of enjoyed. But nothing beat like the whole part one world and the whole you know the seriousness of part one. I I always kind of loved, and it's a fun movie to watch for this time of year. Cool. Uh, Who's up? The next one on my list is a movie called Blood. Came out in two thousand, directed and written by Charlie Cantor, Hmm. and um, Rennie, our mutual friend Rennie from Starkweather, actually turned me yes. Hey, Rennie. I don't. I don't know if this is even like available through like a legit release because I I, have, I know the version I have is a, is a bootleg, and it's um loosely falls within the vampire genre. Have any of you guys heard of this film? Uh, no, never heard. Never even heard. No. of it. I don't Man, think so. It's such a fucking good movie. It's such a weird, unique take on like the vampire. You know, um, basically the plot. There's a a, a doctor scientist guy named Carl. And they, um, there's like a, a young girl who they start doing these experiments on who to, to, to come up with a cure for cancer. So there's a thing called Project Elixir, okay? Now, inadvertently, her blood became this like psychedelic drug that people would drink and have like hallucinations and get addicted to, okay? So these, uh, these, these fiends kidnap her from the facility and they hold her hostage for 20 years. Okay. And this uh, doctor Carl and his buddy, 
they break her out and the doctor's keeping her uh, holed up in his house, okay? And he's married, he's got a son. And at this, at this stage, the girl's a full-grown woman now. She's 20 years old. And uh, of course, uh, they st- he starts banging her. You know, who wouldn't? You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. He starts drinking her blood and like having sex with her or his wife is like freaked out and runs away. And um, yeah, and that, that's this, the, the film, you know, it's, a, it's like a weird statement about drugs and addiction and has this vampire crossover. It's got great music in it too. Featuring mm. this lizard and, you know, um, the junkie vampire blood drinker types. Like there's a scene where they're like, sending some guy out to get vials of blood and, and they're waiting and they're all stressed out and they're listening to Jesus lizard and they're in this room and this guy shows up and he's like, Hey, this is a great place to have a party. You know, and like, it's so sketchy. And it just has, the movie just has this like sketchy, like CD vibe to it. And um, if you can find it, it's a great film. I mean, I found a bootleg. I, they're out there. Blood. Let's check it out. Yeah. yeah, Mike, this sounds like a Mike Hill movie through and through. <laughs> I definitely have to check this out. Yeah, definitely look for it. Very cool. And if yeah. Rennie recommends it. I definitely need to check it out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I guess uh, I'm up next. Um, yes. Well, again, genre, I always go to cults, occult, stuff like that is one of my favorites. And, you know, usually I'll do like the Wicker Band or, um, you know, Midsummer is probably going to become a part of uh, October for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year, I picked the uh, Belgian movie from 2008 called Left Bank, directed by oh, Peter right. Van Heese. Yeah, it's, I won't say it's obscure. You, you can find it, you know, it never really got on any streaming platforms, so it didn't, I don't think it ever found its audience. And I won't say too much about it because, like, uh, surprise is the, the, a big part of how these movies work. Um, but it involves a, a girl who's a track star. She gets this gnarly injury, and she meets this guy. She moves in with him, and, you know, nothing is as it seems. And I brought this up on the podcast many times. Okay. The idea that you're playing a bigger part in something and you don't know it is, is really terrifying to me. So this movie speaks really directly to like what scares me. And it's a really well-made film. The director doesn't have like, you know, there's not a lot of info about him. Um, it's a Belgian movie. So you won't recognize most of the actors except for one of them. Uh, Matthias Schrozenarts. I'm butchering that name. He was in that uh, film that dropped with, um, with uh, Tom Hardy. And, yeah, uh, Gandolfini. Yeah, he played the other guys. Like, yeah, yeah, you got my dog, you know? Oh, I, I like that movie, by the way. I like that movie. Yeah, it's I like movie. it a lot, too. Yeah. Um, so he's in this, uh, probably an earlier role for him. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's all I'll say about it. Go in knowing as, as, as little as, as possible. I probably already gave away too much, but it is a intense, atmospheric, dark movie. And I love it. I, I, uh, I hope more people find it. I hope this movie finds an audience. Very cool. Sounds yeah. good, man. Yeah, check it out. All right. Uh, I will keep it rolling with my, my, my fifth entry. Um, it's a, a movie that was done by 2007 that did not actually come out until uh, October of 2009. 
and has become its own kind of juggernaut. And I'm talking about the anthology film Trick or Treat, directed by Michael Doherty. Nice. Um, this is a fun, fun film to watch this time of year. Um, not sure what you guys think of this movie, but I, I, I did do enjoy this movie. It kind of just brings me back to like being a kid. Like if this movie would have come out when I was younger, I mean, wow, this would have been like, this would have been like the greatest thing ever, you know? Um, but I can still appreciate it as an adult, even though it's, you know, it's, it's not necessarily a hard R or R kind of movie, but um, it's just fun Halloween movie. Uh, it takes place in the fictional town of uh, Warren Valley, Ohio. Uh, with, you know, the characters kind of crossing paths throughout the movie. Um, and then there's the this one character, you know, at the center of the film, Sam. Uh, he's a trick-or-treater dressed in pajamas and a burlap sack who uh, enforces the rules of Halloween. Um, yeah, this is definitely a movie that I like to watch once a year. Um, a, a friend of mine, she just got this life-size doll of Sam that like moves like oh, it's like man. the sickest oh, wow. thing I've ever seen like it's like, kind of horrifying in its own way it's like a motion thing and but it looks really kind of wild um but yeah I mean this movie has kind of become its own kind of merchandising and you know juggernaut like there's just so many different pieces of merch and, and memorabilia for this movie um yeah but I yeah I haven't I actually haven't watched it yet, <laughs> so I'm gonna watch it. This is gonna be one of my this week ones. Yeah yeah, it's just I, cool. Uh, it has Anna Paquin, it has Brian Cox, it's you know cool cast, and it's just fun. Yeah, I actually saw this in a in a theater, uh, even though it didn't play in theaters. Mm -hmm. Drew Mc Drew McWeeny, who wrote for uh, Ain't It Cool News under the name Moriarty, uh, through a screening. Uh, for this, uh, I think it was right around Halloween at the Chinese theater in Hollywood and seeing this in a packed, huge theater. Uh, I, I was baffled when we left the movie, like how much fun we had and how the studio, I was like, how can the studio not believe in this movie to give it a theatrical release? This is great. People were yeah, freaking out. Yeah. And yeah. this movie did, did find its, it's it, yeah, it, it predates screening, but is this found an audience almost immediately on home video? Uh, Sam is like a mm -hmm. was a new horror icon. I, it, it also baffling that there isn't yeah. there hasn't been more of these like a, a sequel. This is a great movie. I I, I, I I'm surprised we're cool. not on Trick or Treat. Yeah, yeah I really enjoyed. Yeah, it. There, there was talk in 2016, 2013, 2016, 2017. There was talk of this movie. It's just been talk. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty cool, man. What I like about it is, um, you know, the, the guy, he laces in, like, all this, like, folklore, like, from the actual, you know, from the Halloween legends and all that, you know, the jack-o'-lantern. Mm -hmm. You know, some of that stuff is really cool. And, uh, you know, the pagan uh, sort of, like, origins of it gets touched on in the movie. And this, the werewolf trend, the werewolf trend, you know, spoiler alert, the werewolf <laughs> The werewolf trans transformations is uh, pretty cool, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah, you know, Anna Paquin looks really cool in that sort of like transitional period between being a human and a wolf. You know, mm. I, I always like when they capture that part of the werewolf transformation. So. 
Absolutely. And she, she looks wonderful in this movie as well. She's yeah. I'm, I'm a fan. I'm an Anna, Anna Paquin fan and has uh, Leslie Bibb as well. She's another great one. Um, but yeah, I don't know how anyone could not watch this movie, uh, you know, this time of year. I think too that the segment with the kids and, and the bus is, is genuinely creepy. Like yeah. it was oh, yeah. actually scary. Boy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, this no, is a, a, a staple for me. Good pick. Yeah, thank you. I went, you know, I went a little mainstreamish on my list, all right. but these are movies that are, you know, th- these are definitely Halloween time films. I'll also, this, this time of year brings out like this kind of, you know, nostalgic. There's like go tos, and it's like it's it's good to hear about, you know, what I, people's, you know, a- anecdotes about these different movies that are probably that probably most everyone has, has watched. Even though we do have a couple on here that are a little bit more obscure. But, yeah, 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 totally. Um, so my, my fifth uh, entry is one of my all-time favorite movies, De La Morte, De La More, a.k.a. Oh. Cemetery Man. Great movie. Wow, nice. I, know, I think all three of us are fans of this movie. Yes. Big fan. So, uh, you know, it's directed by Michele Salvi, who's, um, you know, an icon in Italian uh, horror and filmmaking in general. Um, stars uh, Rupert Everett, who kills it in this uh, movie, and the uh, sublime Anna Fauci. Mm-hmm. Mm. Has a recurrent, has a he plays like several different characters, but they're basically all the same character. And um, it's based on a novel by uh, Tizano Schiavi, and uh, the movie's loosely based on um, a comic uh, also called Dylan Dog, which some of the atmosphere mm-hmm. is taken from that too. And the screenplay was written by Gianni Romali, and um, you know, excellent film. It's uh, it has like a darkly comedic bent to it. Um, it's oh yeah, it centers around uh, Rupert Everett's character, the engineer. Um, he's a cemetery caretaker. The dead just won't stay down in this fucking <laughs> cemetery. So his job mm-hmm. is to dispatch <laughs> the living dead, so they don't you know exit into the world and start wreaking havoc. And um, yeah, it's just like, there's a lot of really cool imagery in it. Uh, Anna Fauci's naked in a lot of the movie, which is always great. Uh, (laughs) Yes, she is. Yes. Rupert Everett plays like this kind of brooding, you know, character, a little little sad, a little world weary, lonely, like that kind of thing. And it's um, overall just a great movie, man. And like, if you haven't seen it, you can find it. I think, I think it's more widely known as Cemetery Man. However, you have to really pay attention to right. the cut. There's, um, the European cut is definitely the better cut, and the American version has a lot. It's been hacked to pieces. So. That's the only version I've seen, I think. I've only seen it as Cemetery oh, Man. No, it's okay. Um, yeah, I've only seen it as Cemetery Man. I, uh, I got to, uh, it, it, that, is the European cut readily available? I think these days it is because I just mm. recently bought it again. And it's, okay. um, but it's actually, I'm trying to remember, trying to visualize the cover. I don't know if it's Del Morte, Del Morte, or Cemetery Man. But if, mm. you, if you see it as Cemetery Man, like, it's most likely you're getting the American cut. So okay. But if you find it as Del Morte, Del Morte, you're definitely getting the European version. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I saw that when I lived in, in North Carolina, and I, I looked up the director. He uh, worked with Terry Gilliam before he started directing his own films. And yeah. you can kind of see that Gilliam influence on his movies, like uh, The Church, 
Yeah. And and this somewhat. So yeah. I mean, there's like a gothic sort of thing going on with some of the visuals and there's, like, yeah. uh, you know, there's also that, yeah, there's a Terry Gilliam flavor to some of it. Definitely. Yeah. Awesome movie. The, uh, the first thing he did, uh, Michele Suave was the really awesome Dario Argento's world of horror. That's what he directed back in 85. And then he did, uh, the cool stage fright and the church and the sect. And, uh, currently he has a really good career as a director in Italy, making Italian films. So, uh, yeah. And he was an assistant director, uh, on Tenebrae. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, you know, been in the horror game a long time. It's a fucking awesome career. Stage fright is uh, underrated. I'd, I'd say I'd, I'd, all of his films are underrated. I think. Yeah. Mm. Like this is a uh, cemetery man is a known movie, but it's not exactly common. Like if you throw that out there in a conversation, it's not a given. Like they're gonna know what you're talking about. I mean, right. it's, I think for hardcore horror fans for sure, but like the casual horror fan probably hasn't even heard of that movie. Yeah, luckily mm. it's not super now. Uh, the European version was um, that was the first version I saw originally, and I remember um, you know there was that what was there was that that weird club like Miami uh, Video Miami or some shit mm. where it's basically you pay for your it's a bootleg setup you know what I mean like you would send away for VHS tapes that were dubbed off of like um, you know laser discs or something like that you know back in the nineties. Oh, they would, wow. They would, they would literally, they would send you a, a dubbed VHS tape with like a, you know, like a, a label on it and no artwork. <laughs> you know, and it would just say the movie. And I got a bunch of films like that. And um, it was the European cut. And, and that was the one I, I grew to know. And then I remember one time I like rented Cemetery Man. And I was like, man, this is like fucking just a totally different movie. You know, a lot of these scenes are just like severely edited. You know? <laughs> wow. I feel cheated now. No, well, as a cool aside, uh, Martin Scorsese called this movie one of the best Italian films of the 90s. So if you have not seen it, you need to see it. All right. Uh, well, it's fun. My uh, last movie um, is a top three of all time for me. Um, I love a good ghost story. So my pick is uh, the made for the BBC Woman in Black from 1989. Hmm. Uh, I think most people are probably more familiar with the Daniel Radcliffe remake, but mm -hmm. uh, this was um, based on a book by Suzanne Hill. The book came out in 83. It's also been a long running stage play started in um, England in 1987. And uh, I saw it in Pasadena two years ago. So it's got some staying power. Um, mm -hmm. This is a great, just like, really effective, simple ghost story using tension and atmosphere to make its point. It's about a solicitor who uh, is sent to this house to settle an estate of, a, of this woman who passed away. And he, he quickly, you know, runs into uh, the, the woman in black. And uh, it's, it's pretty relentlessly grim and atmospheric and creepy and it's everything a, a good ghost story should be. I mean, this is made for TV, so it's at well, maybe a PG, PG-13, and you never think about that you, at all. Like, I was caught up, I saw this on VHS originally, my mom had a copy of it. And unfortunately, I don't think this ever came out 
in legit form in America. Like uh, I got a burned copy from Amazon. I think like, like what Mike was just saying earlier, Amazon was doing a similar thing where like they were burning copies of movies and, and sending them to people, but with artwork, but that's the only copy of it I have. I think you can watch it on YouTube, but uh, this is, this is my favorite ghost story of all time. Uh, I love this movie. I, I want to see it. It's fantastic. Like I said, top three, maybe even top two horror movies of all time. My, my, my number one is hmm. The Wicker Man. That, that'll never change. And this yeah. is maybe two or three. I, I love this movie. Okay. I thought the remake kind of stunk. Um, it took all the yeah. class and tension out of this and just kind of made a more modern mainstream horror film. But that said, it does have great moments. There's moments where Harry Potter, whatever the fuck his name is, uh, is kind of roaming through the, the house and there's long stretches without dialogue. But they just add all this dumb bullshit like psychics and, you know, talking ghosts. It just got really silly. And it, it's not a hair on, on the, the 1989 version. Cool. I haven't seen it, so I'm forward to checking it out at some point, definitely. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, like I said, I think you can watch it on, on YouTube, which is not the ideal way to watch anything, but if it's the only way to watch it, uh, go ahead and do it. It's it's really, really great and perfect for this time of year. Again, all atmosphere, wintry, cold, isolated. Uh, it's fantastic. Cool. And that's man. it, man. That's our that's our uh, our Halloween picks, and uh, you know the season is upon us. And um, everyone out there have a, a great Halloween and try to try to do some scary shit, you know, safely. That is, yes, yeah. Have a safe and scary Halloween and enjoy yourself, and hopefully watch some shit that you have not seen, or you know, revisit some classics. All right, guys. So we should do this again. I think this went pretty well. So, um, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. we were going to do this this time of year anyway for Halloween Kills. And uh, unfortunately, we're going to have to wait another year for that. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. All right, well, man. Well, take care, guys. This was fun. Right. Guys, take care, everybody. Cheers. Bye. Peace. Yeah.